Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards, pureandsimplebible.com. Very grateful for you listening once again. This week, we are reversing roles. I am the guest, and Stuart Crouch from Real Bible Application is the host. He hosted me on his podcast, and I just asked if I could have the audio so that I could have it on mine as well. So you get to listen to me being interviewed. These are long episodes, and what I've realized is that I talk a lot. So just be ready for that and how usually in my podcast the episodes are a little bit shorter, but these are going to be a little bit longer because I am that long-winded. We're talking about 1 Corinthians 11, the first part of the chapter on the covering, and I'm going to let Stuart take it away. Here we go. Thank you for joining us again on the Real Biblical Application Podcast. Today we have a special guest with us, Jonathan Edwards from Pure and Simple Bible. He's come on to discuss 1 Corinthians 11, verses 2 through 16, in a study that I'm entitling The Covering, but we're going to be discussing much more than The Covering. We'll be discussing gender roles, we'll be discussing headship, and all sorts of topics that uh, are important for us to study out. And Jonathan has a, a great talent for taking things that seem complicated and making them simple for us to understand. And so I, I assigned him this topic, one, because I've heard him give a lesson on this topic and it was very good, and because we want to utilize his talent and ability in this text. So, Jonathan, how long have you been doing pure and simple Bible? Since 2015. And I was in Cambodia, and uh, it all started with a whiteboard video because I, I like a, a, a YouTube channel called um, The Bible Project, and they're the gold mm -hmm. standard of illustrated Bible videos uh, as far as the quality and production. Now, their content's pretty good, too, but there are things that I don't agree with. Um, anyway, I wanted to make these videos for my work, and I started making the videos, and then I realized that I needed to – I also wanted to have um, workbooks because in my ministry in Cambodia, we didn't have a lot of resources in the Khmer language, and anything that I was trying to pull off the Internet cost money, and I'm cheap. So I didn't want to, didn't want to buy it or license it. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. the workbook, the for the blue one, um, it's called the Redemption Series, and a video called How to Become a Christian. Those are the two things mm -hmm. that started Pure and Simple Bible. And Pure and Simple Bible has evolved into uh, a myriad of things. So you got the workbooks, you have. Uh, a podcast, you have a YouTube channel, you have a lot going on under this pure and simple Bible banner. H how many workbooks do you have at this point? There's four and a ghost fifth. So if you ask nicely, I can give you the ghost fifth. <laughs> oh, is that uh, what it's called? The ghost fifth? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's called Bible study methods. And okay. it's about personal Bible study. And um, I started a, a therapy program at a local university, and for the past two years, Pure and Simple Bible has really been majority on hold. It's on cruise control, I should say. And mm -hmm. so I haven't been able to, to look at 
um, new workbook options. So um, the four ones are on redemption, on the church, on the Bible. And then I have one called Let's Talk About Jesus. And it's for English language learners. So for when we have people in our community around the church that we want to study with, that maybe they don't speak English very well. And we're like, how do, how do I mm -hmm. study with them? Maybe they're nice and they want to get together. They want to be friendly. And so we're saying, how do we interject uh, Christianity into this conversation? Well, I found that by saying, would you like to work on your English? And I have this study called Let's Talk About Jesus. And it's meant for us to have conversations together. I'm a Christian, so it's about uh, the Christian view and, and, and about who Jesus was. So you'll learn about that, too. And uh, so, yeah, that's the fourth one. It's kind of a bit different than the other three is its intentionality. But I will say for our immigrant culture that is the United mm -hmm. States, we need to have more stuff like it. So you yourself, are you trilingual at this point? No. I would say I am barely bilingual. I do speak Spanish. And I used to speak Khmer like a kindergarten level um, or okay. less, maybe like preschool level. But I still, I still think if I got dropped off randomly in the countryside in Cambodia, I could find my way home. But um, – I don't speak it very well. I, I used to even try to read it, but it's a different script than our letters. Are, are any of your workbooks translated into Khmer or Spanish or anything like that? All of them are in Khmer. They're also huh? in uh, Bengali, working on getting them in Spanish. I have a little uh, a booklet called, what is it called? The Story of the Bible. And it's in about 20 languages. And it's on my wow. website. You can go to Pure and Simple Bible. And go to booklets, uh, the story of the Bible. And you can download for free. So for your listeners out there who have family members or are bilingual yourself, and you're wanting to reach out to that population, I really, really try to get the story of the Bible as a free download. And you just print it, cut it, staple it. And you've got two copies of the booklet from your own printer. For me, these resources is very important that anybody around the world can access it. So they're all on a Google Drive. And my website, when you click on the hyperlink, it opens the PDF of the Google that's attached to the Google Drive. So any of my resources are free to download and use. Wow, that's uh, that's really neat. And we appreciate you providing and working on those resources. I know that's a lot of work to do. And so we, we appreciate that. So if you're a listener, check out pureandsimplebible.com, uh, correct? That's right. All right, pure and simple, pure and simple Bible .com and uh, the YouTube channel and the podcast. A lot of good things there. Yes, sir. All right. Well, well, let's get on topic here. Uh, we're looking at First Corinthians eleven, um, and this these verses that we're looking at, verses two through sixteen, are highly discussed and debated about uh, among people of all knowledge bases, uh, whether you know a little bit or know, or you're a theologian, whatever you want to, what level you think you're at, uh, people kind of wrestle with these verses. Um, and, and we've already read the verses, but what's kind of the context here? Uh, does it fall into the context with previous chapters or does it stand alone uh, in that sense? Or how would you look at the context here? That's a great question. Um, 
I think we need to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as the um, final chapter in a bigger section in the book of 1 Corinthians. And this section, uh, I think 1 Corinthians, we could summarize it as problems and solutions. And so these sections within the book, there's different problems, and then Paul gives them a gospel solution. Um, chapters 1 through Four are about uh, a specific problem solution. Chapter five through seven is about specific uh, problem solution. And then chapter eight through 11. And this chapter eight through 11 is about um, submitting to uh, God's authority, uh, submitting to maybe your brethren as far as uh, whenever you might have more knowledge and, and they have less knowledge. And so they're, they, but but yet they may have like a, some sort of an, a struggle of faith. That's what chapter eight's about, the eating meat offered to idols. But yeah, um, the, the problem of pride and not wanting to submit, and it's kind of addressed in different ways. And uh, in chapter 11, you've got two of them. In the first part, which is what we're going to talk about, is submission to God's ordained order of authority. And the second part, we're not talking about that, is submitting by tarrying for one another and the Corinthian problem, the Corinthian church had a problem of it was time to commune, and the rich people had a big love feast beforehand. The poor people had nothing, and so there was very much a schism. And then they were supposed to come together and commune. They weren't really tearing for one another, and uh, so the solution was to tarry. So, uh, hmm. in the middle of this big section is people need to humble themselves and submit themselves to the will of God. And there's a lot in this text that talk about headship um, and submitting ourselves to God and submitting ourselves, uh, if you're a woman, submitting yourself to your husband. Uh, and it kind of starts off by laying all this out. The head of every man is Christ and head of every woman is man and the head of Christ is God. And so it's important, I think, uh, submission is kind of a, an important term that you kind of just nailed on the head just now. Um, and being mindful of different roles uh, that we play and who we are to submit to. And people don't really like that word submission. Uh, they don't want to submit to anyone. So th this word submission, is it a... Uh, whenever we think of submitting, is it a positive thing? to submit to someone or to submit to someone's authority? Because we oftentimes don't think so whenever we first hear it. Well, um, there's a lot of ways I could answer that. <laughs> what I will do, though, is I'm going to actually pause that question and give a – I'd like to reach out, if we can, just for a minute, to people who are already anxious because mm. – you know, we've already talked about submission, authority, obeying the Bible, and maybe they don't know what this chapter is about yet. And so if they're intrigued, suddenly they're going, what in the world are we going to study? And then others are going to be thinking, I already know what this chapter is about, and I already know what Jonathan is saying, and the way that they're framing this, maybe I don't agree with them. So they're going to call me, you know, a rebel or, or something. They're going to mm -hmm. call me, you know, um prideful instead of being humble. So I might, I want to reach out just to say, 
I have heard this preached rarely in a full sermon, rarely, like maybe a two, three times in my whole life that I can remember. Obviously, that there are times that I can't remember because I didn't pay attention as a kid. But most of the times I've ever heard First Corinthians 11 taught would be at like a, a, a gospel meeting. And it's usually lumped in with other things that the preacher really needs to get across. Now, I don't want to say all, cre- all, all preachers had the same motive. I think some had noble intentions. Um, but I also think that just stating, uh, talking about 1 Corinthians 11 in that brief 30-second or 10-second uh, exposure that it gives in a sermon is very unhealthy and does not benefit this teaching at all. Usually it's, it's, it's given in passing, like, I'm, you know, we got these women who cut their hair and they need to stop. And that's what, that's the only thing people have ever heard. And so they have no context to that at all. Every time I preach this and I I preach it almost everywhere I go, but every time I preach this, I always have at least one person who was not raised in the church of Christ come up afterwards and say, wow, um, that's the first time that we've heard like a full sermon on it. And I remember when I was baptized that they just told me to not cut my hair anymore. And so I was like, why? And then I just didn't. That's Mm -hmm. not faith, right? That is, uh, faith is the evidence of things hoped for and the assurance of things unseen. And faith in 1 Corinthians 11 is, is understanding what the theme and the, context and the and all of this information is saying and then saying you know what i'm gonna obey god's commands here it's not faith to just uh bully or force someone to do something that they have no idea why so i Mm -hmm. i share all of that to say um it's very possible that people will be listening to this who've never heard this view before and i really don't want you to go away from it thinking um I could never talk to Jonathan about that because uh, it, it was so hateful and it was so hurtful and he just really had a bone to pick with me. I don't have a bone to pick with anyone. And uh, I really want you to feel comfortable, whether it be, you know, some sort of social media app that maybe we're both on or an email. You can email me at pureandsimplebible at gmail.com. You can call me if you got my phone number and say, hey, that what you said, it didn't make sense. Can we talk about it some more? You could say, I don't agree with what you said, and uh, I want to talk about it with you. I'm not going to be hurt or defensive. I'll try not to be. Obviously, you know, it's human nature maybe to get defensive, but I will try my best to be loving and open, and I want to be your friend as we talk about it. So that wasn't the question you asked, but I think that's a great way to start this conversation, whether it's in the pulpit or one-on-one. I always start with that because especially our sisters, you know, this, this, this scripture is for men and women, but I believe that women have the more challenging command to obey. And so it's easy for the guy who's I'm starting to get thin and it takes me, you know, a minute to fix my hair. It's really easy for me to tell women to obey this command and that I'll obey mine. Um, but it may be that what we need to do is have a little bit more, uh, understanding and grace with people who've never heard it before. So maybe you want to comment on that before I answer your other question. Do you want to? 
No, I, I think that was good setting the the tone. I've heard this presented in unloving ways, I would say. We we have to understand that this is a difficult topic for people to stomach, especially women. This is asking a lot of them. And we need to understand that going in and and not be um not approach it too uh, harshly, maybe, is the word. Well, I would uh, say that Jesus preached in a lot of different ways. He definitely was a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Mm-hmm. And he definitely had harsh, strong messages for people. But look at who he spoke to in that way. When it was to people who knew the law and didn't obey it. Uh, the leaders specifically are going to be the ones who who get his most intense criticism when it's people who are unfamiliar with the law or are outcast. They're the ones that receive the most uh, merciful, inspiring, encouraging types of, of, of interactions with them. And that's how I want to interact here as well. Usually people haven't heard of First Corinthians 11 as far as this, the way that I'm going to be explaining it. And so, uh, yeah, I, I don't want it to come across uh, in a way where I have a club and I'm going to beat you over the head with it until you just you're so beat down that you'll say, fine, I'll do it. If you'll just stop beating me over the head. I'm not interested in that. Right. So the question you asked was. Is submission a good thing or when we when, when we have to submit I think any one of us can experience submission in healthy ways. We do it when we drive. Like it's, mm-hmm. it is very important. Uh, submission just means to yield or subordinate. Mm-hmm. It is very important when you come to a yield sign that you obey it. Otherwise you're going to get slammed by the car that doesn't yield. Like we get that. Uh, the same at a red light. I'm going to yield to those that have a green light. So all we have to do is look around us to see that there are, always these nuanced and not and, and other times very obvious ways that we submit that means we yield or we subordinate to another uh, when it comes to role gender roles let's let's let the Bible unpack it instead of maybe making statements first but sure. I, I I will tell you I, I do think in Genesis 2 or Genesis 1 2 and 3 we have God's beautiful plan for what um, family and headship and, and submission, et cetera, was supposed to look like. I love preaching from Genesis 2 because Adam was alone, even though he was created first. So he's first in creation order. God still says it's not good that man is alone. It's not good. It's the first time in the Bible that that phrase is used, not good. And so uh, when Eve, his perfect counterpart, is made, there is a distinction in their creation order, but God's original plan was that this partnership was supposed to be a blessing to each other and not the bickering curse that we find in Genesis 3 and that we still struggle with the, those roles and, and, and um, arguments and everything else that goes along with it till this day. So we'll get to submission here in a little bit, it sounds like. So where would you like to start this study? Great question. I want to start in the first verse of this section. I have to do one more shout out. 
So people are like turning their Bibles and they're like, Jonathan, just be quiet and start reading. But I did not always believe this. Um, I grew up in a home that did teach this. My parents did teach me that 1 Corinthians 11 was truth for us to obey. When I went to college, that's where I, for those who are listening and you can't see, I'll do the air quotes. So, but I went to college and I, I learned everything, right? As far as things where I decided uh, I knew more than what I had been taught. And this was definitely one of them. And I thought there's no way that that scripture applies to us. It's so, you know, archaic that it, it can't be for us today. It has to have been only for the, the Corinthians. And then when I was dating my now wife, um, Marissa, I was dating her and I went down there and there's an, an older brother in Christ named Bruce Caskey. And Brother Bruce preached from 1 Corinthians 11 and he preached the exact outline that I'm about to preach to you. And what he did was he started in the beginning and he made seven points that everyone can agree on. What we typically do, I say we, um, what people typically do who, who believe in the position that I'm about to advocate is they'll start with women don't cut your hair, men keep your hair short. Like that's the goal. Mm -hmm. Well, that that's not the way the Bible outlines it. That's the seventh, the final point in this passage. And there's six others that you build on to make a foundation to get to that point. Now, that point still is valid, biblical, accurate in the way I interpret this. But we're going to start with the first one, which, uh, if I could read it to you, which one do you want me to read out of, the New King James or the English Standard? Well, I read it in the New King James. Okay, so I'll read it there. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. That's verse two. And so the mm -hmm. first foundational point in a Bible study that I'm going to have with a person or whenever I preach a sermon, and I know there's people in the audience that don't agree with me. The first point I want to make is this. Paul's traditions are for all of us. Okay? So we might... Uh, talk about that word tradition. And that word tradition is a Greek word, which just means uh, delivering or deliverance. The idea of from one person to the next, delivering something from one to the next. And it usually uh, in many religious circles is a very ugly word, tradition. Like we don't follow traditions. We follow Jesus and you follow man's traditions. But here Paul is saying, I praise you that you remember the traditions, just as I delivered them to you. Well, what traditions did Paul deliver? And Paul delivered the words of Christ. And that's the takeaway is that if Paul's delivering these traditions, then we should want to follow these traditions. One of the questions, and I answer this one pretty quickly. Uh, one of the questions a lot of people ask is, but is it a tradition for all of us? Or is it a tradition for the Corinthians? In fact, you can look in most Bibles. I would challenge you to look in 1 Corinthians 11, and there will be a footnote at the bottom that tells you that this is for the Corinthians. I'll read mine. Uh, out of the English Standard Version, it says, number one, in ancient times, married women often wore headscarves to show that they were married. 
In ancient times, this is for other verses in the section. In ancient times, female prostitutes often shaved their head. In ancient times, male prostitutes often had long hair. So the people who compiled that version in many of the English Bibles that we read from insert their own interpretation and state, P.S., this isn't for us. This is for the Corinthians only. How did they get to that conclusion? And, and I would suggest that they got to that conclusion because they didn't want to follow its teachings. Now, you can get commentaries off the shelf, and a lot of the commentaries will say this was a Corinthian uh, command. But I base my view that it is, in fact, a command for all of us off of a couple of things. Number one, if you go down just another verse, verse three, it says, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. Is it the head of Corinthian men? No, it's the head of every man. If if we interpret verse two as for the Corinthians only, but then verse three is for every man, that doesn't make sense. That, that contextually is a, a very poor way to view the Bible. They, they either, it either means for all of us or it only means the Corinthians. I believe it means all of us because of that. And then also in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse, let's see, 17, Paul says, For this reason I sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, listen, as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul went everywhere and taught the same thing. And he's saying, by the way, I'm sending Timothy to you, and he's going to tell you the same thing that I would say, because I teach the same thing everywhere I go. So just because we have this teaching in one place doesn't mean it only was intended to go to that one place. It was intended for all of us. And that's the first big point that we need to address is these traditions that Paul delivered are for all of us. Yeah, I've I've listened to a lot of sermons on this topic on YouTube and other places. I've read commentaries, of course. And it seems like every time I listen to something, uh, a sermon on the topic, it's always different, and it's always pointing to some kind of cultural uh, aspect. So I, I looked at one, and it was talking about the covering that the Jews wore, uh, that the men wore and the women didn't wear, and how this is the opposite of that, and that's what Paul's instructing. Uh, I, I read one you know, pointing to pagan practices of cross-dressing and worship to a god and you know, all sorts of different cultural things come into this uh, is, is what a lot of people believe. Is there another section of verses in the Bible off the top of your head where people try to explain away the verse by saying that's just a cultural uh, verse? It's not hmm. for us. You're going to make me do that off the top of my head. Well, um Probably First Timothy two and First Peter three on modest apparel. Hmm. Uh, I might have a different view on what modesty looks like than you, 
but we both have to agree that modesty still exists. Like we don't get to absolve ourselves of obeying that command. Right. I think there is though, maybe I'm not answering your question, but maybe people are saying, but there is examples where they were only writing to, you know, about a specific problem. And I want us to, to, I guess, uh, acknowledge that in this very book, in first Corinthians chapter seven, um, Paul, let's see, first Corinthians seven, verse 25, he's talking about principles of marriage, why you need to keep your marriage vows to live in the way that God called you. So as Christians were marrying or as, as people were converting, they were asking, what, what do we do if our spouse isn't a Christian? You know, you had two pagans, then one converts. Now you got a Christian married to a pagan. And Paul's saying, you need to stay together. That's mm-hmm. universal. We know that's for all of us. But also during this time was a tremendous persecution of the church. And so Paul acknowledges that that specific persecution. And he says in verse 25, now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, it is good because of this present distress, et cetera, et cetera, to remain as you are. Paul is telling the Corinthian single people, maybe you shouldn't get married right now because when the police, you know, whatever they want to be called, whenever the Mm -hmm. police came to your door and knocked your door down, if it's just you and they say curse God or die, it's pretty easy to say I would rather die than disobey God. Paul is stating it's going to be a challenge if you're married and you have kids and they knock the door down and then they hold the sword on your wife and they say, curse God or we'll kill her. Hmm. What a powerful difference that is. So that's an example of, of there was a specific cultural issue going on that is addressed. However, I can still glean from that cultural example to say, I love Marissa with all of my heart, but may it never come to a point where my love for her takes God off the throne of my heart. Mm-hmm. And so I need to just remember my priorities. And uh, But we don't see anything of that in 1 Corinthians 11 as far as it being about some sort of present distress. It's just mm-hmm. about the Corinthian church was struggling with submission, as we'll talk about in a little bit. And uh, Paul is addressing that. Right. It it does seem to be just speaking like Paul does in many other places whenever he gives instruction. Um, He's not referencing any uh, specific issue or thing that was going on. I mean, maybe this was going on in the congregation for him to address it, but um, he doesn't get specific with it um, like he does for instance, with the the man who was uh, um, caught in adultery. Mm. And so he gets specific there and and corrects it, but there's no specific issue that's mentioned here or the distress or anything like that. It's it's just a a direct command. And as you mentioned, it says every uh, man and not just any Corinthian man. That, that chapter five example is a great point because we could use it to help even further solidify our claim. That was a specific thing that happened to the Corinthians, but we still use it to 
in universal application. We're not going to have somebody have an adulterous relationship with their mother-in-law, stepmother, mom, whoever that was. Mm-hmm. And if anybody engaged in such an inappropriate relationship, we would use 1 Corinthians 5 as for how to discipline that member. We use 1 Corinthians 7 to as a reminder to tell us not to prioritize someone above God. We use 1 Corinthians 11, even if, even if it was because of an issue going on in the city of Corinth or these specific Corinthian people, even if that's true, the lessons to be gained from it have to be universal. Mm-hmm. I have more on this, by the way. We're like 30 minutes into this study. but It, it can uh, go as long as we need. <laughs> I'll save it for the end. It's got its application in the end, but there's really an interesting observation to be made about the universality of this passage. So what is the the second point? Are are we good to move to the second point? Yes, sure. So if, you know, I keep making like a pyramid for those who are able to see the video. I'm with my hands. I'm doing this pyramid, right? (laughs) Um, So the big base is Paul delivered traditions for us to all follow. Okay, so what's the tradition? You know, what are these traditions that that we're all going to follow? Well, the second part of this pyramid that I'm building, the second piece that's built on the foundation that, that Paul's delivering traditions that we all follow is this. Number two, God has an ordained order of authority. Can we agree on that? That's what I tell people. Mm. Can we agree that God has an ordained order of authority? And people might be like, um, I don't know. I don't know what that means. You know, th- these are words that we don't use all the time. Ordained means that it's planned. God has a planned order, hierarchy, if you will. God has a planned order of roles, different amounts of responsibility. Uh, different amounts of power. God is at the top of this order of authority. God has all power. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 28, it says that when uh, everything submits to Christ, it pauses to say, except God, God doesn't, the Father does not submit to the Son. Um, because he's omniscient, omnipresent. Both of them are, but God, the Father, is above all. So Christ, this, this uh, maybe I should read it in case somebody hasn't read it before. First uh, Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Um, so Christ submits to God. And that means God the Father, Yahweh, and uh, God the Son, Jesus Christ, Jesus submits to his Father. Now, they are equal in power. They're equal in their uh, infinite span of time and being, etc. So this submission is voluntary. It is an equal mm-hmm. submitting to another. It's a voluntary move. Then you have man. We're not on God's level. So you want to talk about different roles, different responsibilities, different levels of power. That drop from Jesus to man is, is the span is amazing. And then you under the authority of man is woman. 
But again, I want to emphasize, especially in our culture that is very egalitarian and is really equity, equality at all costs, mm-hmm. that the Bible's view of submission is an equal volunteering to submit to an equal. And it's not one where because I can bench press more, I get to be the head of the house. If that was true, a lot of us wouldn't be heads of the house. <laughs> but let's be honest. <laughs> a lot of us would lose in a fight uh, to our wives. My wife is a scrappy fighter and she punches hard. So I might not be head of my house if it came down to it. But the point is, this is God's order of authority. And God made it in a way where it's father and the, God, the father, God, the son, man, woman. And then what's not mentioned here is children. Obviously, children um, in the human side of things are at the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak. Um, for You're taking notes. Jesus is head of the church in Colossians 1.18. There's a great example showing that he is head of something. Man is head over his home, Ephesians 5.23 and 6 and 4. And then woman manages the home, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14. And yeah, we, we have different roles and responsibilities. That's the second big point that we need to all agree on. So I'll then pause and I'll say, so far, you may not like it. I'm not saying you have to like these things, but do you agree that that's what this scripture's teaching? And, um, you know, the rhetorical question should be answered yes, because this is very pure and simple teaching. Do you see that pun I did? The, the <laughs> nice little plug there. <laughs> yeah, and, and I agree. It's, it is pure and simple um, and easy to understand. Uh, we can see the um, the transition there from God to Christ and then Christ to us. And, and we submit ourselves voluntarily to Christ. Of course, in the end, it won't be so voluntary. Uh, but while we're here on this earth, um, you know, we have the ability to make the decision whether we will submit to Christ. And and in the end, every knee will bow. But I think it's a beautiful picture. And this is kind of what I was trying to bring out earlier, a beautiful picture of submission, the voluntary nature of submission, choosing. That's what love is. Uh, It's considering others as more valuable than yourself. And we certainly do that when we submit ourselves to to Christ, and our wives do if if they submit themselves to us, and it, and the, our kids do when they submit to uh, the, their parents. And it's a beautiful thing because it's not forced, and it's something that someone is choosing to do to humble themselves and to ultimately uh, submit to Christ through those actions. It's beautiful when it's done God's way. I think sometimes, um, maybe I'll throw this out from those who are not Christians, and they they are repulsed at the idea of, of submitting, um, that there's a headship, etc. A lot of times, uh, what's displayed in a, in a quote-unquote Christian home is not God's way. And to rule with an iron fist, to be abusive to your spouse or your children, to whether that be verbal abuse or physical abuse, 
Uh, these are not God's way. God did not give us this authority so that we could be little emperors. Mm -hmm. And any man that would do such a thing is abusing and really overthrowing God's authority and putting himself as king of his heart. Uh, in every place that where somebody has authority over someone else, that authority is always intended to protect and serve the one that's under their care. It's never one that's intended to flex their might and say, you'd better do it my way or else it's the highway, so to speak. Hmm. Now, there are parts of God's nature that are that do cause fear and that people do fall before his presence. He's divine. And we're not. And so he gets that divine right as being creator. But when it comes to the human side of headship, a lot of critics of Christianity will emphasize that inconsistency that they see. And you know what we need to say? We need to call out people who are inconsistent and say, you know what, you're right. Because that, that's a terrible example. But what we're not going to do is swing to the complete other side, which abandons God's authority and rejects God's authority. What we need to do is find that balance where we're doing it God's way uh, with both love and truth. So point two is a, a chain of submission. Point three, what is point three? I will say this before we move on to point three. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm done. I have a joke about point two that always gets a good chuckle, but I'm not going to share it on your program. So for people that want to know the joke about, uh, so you've got God, the father, God, the son, man, woman, children at the bottom. I, I'd make the joke. There's actually another rung in this below children. And uh, but I'm, all I'm going to do is is leave that with you, and you need to either contact me, or you know, come hear me when I preach it, and I'll I'll tell you what that is <laughs> after it's over. So I'll tell you after we're done recording. If you I, you may already know it. I I, I have some guesses. But okay, no, if you don't no, want no me to guesses. guess, we're going to leave people hungry, <laughs> hungry for it. So Our number first three, pure and simple Bible cliffhanger. Here yeah. we go. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 even on other uh, other people's programs, I, I, I have to take control and, and do a pure and simple Bible cliffhanger. Um, for number three and four, they're kind of together. So you've got number one, which is God's, uh, or Paul has delivering traditions that we're all going to follow. Do we agree on that? Great. Um, this tradition is that God has an ordained order of authority. Do we agree on that? Great. Okay, well, what is this ordained order of authority? Well, number three is about man. That is, every man who wants to pray should uncover his head. If you're taking notes, you could go ahead and write the fourth one down. And that is, every woman who wants to pray should cover her head. Now, we'll read it because this is where the, the passage does start to maybe lose its simplicity to a reader who's not familiar with it. I, I think it's still simple, but I've also read it, you know, hundreds of times. It says in verse four, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as to have her head, as if her head were shaved. 
For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it's shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he's the image and glory of God. The woman is the glory of man. So I'll talk about them both at the same time. When I preach it, I usually go one by one. Okay. Verse 7 links it back to the, the second point. The point is that God has an ordained order of authority. And verse 7 says, man was created first and then woman. We're going to talk about this a whole lot more in a bit. But being created first does not mean that God loves you better. It's just a different responsibility. Adam was created and put in a garden, given to work. And then God observed and said, hey, it's not good that he's alone. He needs help. So woman was created. And suddenly this, this team was a potent combo. But because of the creation order, this is explained here. It's explained in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I think verse 11 and 12. The idea is that Adam was created first. And so this is God's order. Now, with that in mind, um, in our role, we can either honor our head or dishonor our head. Now, I look at those in one of two ways. I honor my head or I dishonor my head. And for those on audio only, I'm pointing at my bulbous <laughs> noggin, right? The other way is I either dishonor my head and now I'm pointing upwards towards Jesus. I either honor him or I dishonor him. And I think really we need to co-mingle those together. Some people okay. want it to be completely one, completely the other. I think it's intentional this way where we're saying, if you want your prayers to be heard, then keep your head covered, sisters, brothers, uncover your head. And if you don't do these things, you actually dishonor your head. Mm -hmm. And so when a sister covers her head, whatever it may be, what is that? You know, we don't know yet. The Bible doesn't say. We're, we're really quick to jump in and say, oh, this is talking about hair. Well, the Bible hasn't said that yet. Right. What it has said is me, Jonathan, as a man, if I want my prayers heard, then I want to do everything I can to uncover my head. And by doing that, I bring honor to the head instead of dishonor. Maybe a couple extra things just for people asking questions. It, it does say everyone who prays or prophesies. And so you have that word prophesy, and we think, does that mean I get to predict the future? Because that's what a lot of people hear when they hear the word prophesy. You had these prophets in the Old Testament, and they were able to look hundreds or thousands of years into the future by the power of the Holy Spirit, and so they were prophesying about the future. In the New Testament, especially during the age of the church, prophesying took on a different meaning, and that meant to communicate God's will. And so they didn't have the Bible written down, and because it wasn't written down, people had to preach it. It was a you know the good news for a reason. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so you've got prophets who have these miraculous gifts. And yeah, there is an example in the book of Acts of a guy who prophesied that there was a famine coming. But the majority of the times this is used, it simply re means revealing God's word, mm -hmm. preaching. 
um, studying and then public or uh, and proclamation, whether that be public or in a home environment. And so when women want to pray and they want to be able to share the word with others in their the capacity that they can, then they better make sure their heads are covered. It's kind of the Jonathan Edwards translation. And men, if you want your prayers heard and you want your proclamation to be legitimate, then you'd better keep your head uncovered. And by doing that, we're able to petition the Father. And this is a powerful point. This is one of only two places in the New Testament where our prayer life is threatened as Christians. The other one is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, and it's also a relational passage. It's about husbands making sure they treat their wives as an equal heir in salvation. Apparently, they had problems. I'm not surprised because this is part of that garden fall where men seize power and abuse power. Uh, at least this is part of that dynamic. But when Peter writes it, he says that you'd better honor her, this weaker vessel, as an equal or joint heir, lest your prayers be hindered. So when I don't treat Marissa the way that the Bible says I'm supposed to, or 1 Corinthians 11, if I don't honor my head, I don't uh, keep my head uncovered in both of those ways, my prayer life could really be stunted. And that's that's kind of a terrifying part of this that I hadn't considered before I started studying it, you know, 20 years ago when I first started looking at it seriously. Yeah, that that's uh certainly is terrifying because that's our our end of the communication coin with God. Uh communicates with us through the word and and we communicate back with him through through prayer. And if that is somehow hindered or stunted or you know there's some kind of wedge there, then that can greatly affect our relationship with God. And it's not by by his doing, it's it's by our own. And exactly, exactly. And this is where the submission element really comes in because both men and women are submitting to their role. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is about, is when I'm choosing not to submit to the role that God has given me, that's when my prayers aren't heard. Because I don't, in in reality, I don't want my prayers to be heard is, is kind of the conclusion of this. I'm bucking God's authority. I'm not interested in a, in a prayer life with this God. So I'm moving on. And, and by submitting and saying, no, I am interested in a prayer life with my Father in heaven. I want to go all the way to the top, so to speak, of that order of authority. Therefore, I submit to the role God designed for me. And I complete it. And by doing that, this, this is the, where the submission element really gets huge. Yeah, uh, especially in that. I mean, submission, if we don't submit, we are obviously showing pride in our life. Uh, If we're unwilling to submit, that's evidence of pride. And so we're essentially in the, especially if we know that this is putting a wedge between me and God, not following this command with this covering. I won't get into that yet, but we're saying that I don't need it. 
I don't need my prayer life. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I got mm-hmm. it covered. And, and again, that's a that's a pride issue. Pride causes all causes all sorts of issues in our life. And I mean, anything that in our life, any part of our life where we see weeds begin to grow, where we we see uh, self becoming more important than God, that's always a pride issue. And that's uh, important. I, just over the last couple of years in a study of humility, I've, I've really started to realize how important humility is in our life and, and having the willingness to be corrected at times. That's something that is tough for us. In your humility studies, have you figured out the conundrum of how Moses wrote that he was the most humble man in the world? <laughs> no it's one of the i always see it as i mean i think it's legitimate I, I don't discount the scripture is true and i think he likely was but since he's the writer you know the holy spirit is inspiring him to put this down and i, I just see him sitting there going mm-hmm. oh do you really want me to say this <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just a, a statement of fact at that point it's not a <laughs> no one's going to argue with it but it's possible that something like that could be um, a form of exaggeration to to make a point that they're certainly that he's sur- surrounded by those who were full of pride. Yes, um, yes. Your your view is way more uh, legitimate than mine, but mine's funnier. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, th- there's a couple words in here: um, shorn and shaved. Um, makes me think of you know, sheep. <laughs> yes, shaved is is obviously a word that we're familiar with. Maybe not you, because you have a beard. But uh, <laughs> th- this word "shorn" is not a word that we commonly use in our everyday language. Maybe we have an idea of what "shorn" means, but w- what is "shorn"? Uh, not slick bald. <laughs> it's Jonathan Edwards' definition. Shaven is, you know, slick bald with a razor shorn. It's they didn't have uh, trimmers with guard protection the way we do. So, you know, if I wanted to trim my beard, I just put like a number three on the little beard trimmer and, you know. But it's shorn at that point. It's really short. And uh, both of those. In God's order of authority are very embarrassing. Um. This is a great point to bring up a cultural piece. And in cultures, the one we're in, the, the many cultures that we're that we live around, but then around the world, this doesn't make a lot of sense if you only look at it from a cultural view. Now, I used to use cultural arguments to make this point. And I would say something like, uh, we all know that it's embarrassing for a woman to have her head shaved. Like we all agreed with that because I was a dummy, you know, but mm-hmm. but I would then I would make this point and I'd say uh, back in World War Two, when these Russian women took up with their Nazi occupiers, when the Russian army came through and and reclaimed their land, they brought these women out in the square and they shaved their heads as a sign that they were traitors. And therefore. Women, you shouldn't shave your head. <laughs> that was kind of my point. That's, that I'm embarrassed by how 
you know, there's so many holes in that. But, and I use it, I, I'm a bit more uh, dramatic with it than I actually was when I would use that. But this is what a lot of our brethren do is they will try to make a cultural argument for women to think it's embarrassing to have short hair. That's not the intention of this scripture as far as from a cultural perspective, because I lived in a culture for three years where it was the highest honor for a woman whose husband had died uh, to sell all her worldly goods and shave her head and be a female monk at the temple. And people looked at that with reverence. That really made a big impact on me because here was something that I should think is, uh, you know, just based on reading this, it should be embarrassing for everyone everywhere, but it's not. And not only that, but think about our sisters who get cancer uh, mm -hmm. or just through, you know, having kids and, and going through the hormone and the, the, just the imbalance of hormones after having kids or going through menopause that their hair falls out. Are they, is, is that an embarrassment in the sight of God? No, nobody would say that. They're, we're talking about issues of the heart at this point. Now we mm -hmm. are, every issue of the heart typically has a behavior or an action that God wants us to utilize that issue of the heart with. And we'll get to that in a bit. But at this point, what he's saying is if, if you don't want to keep your head covered, it's the same as going out and just shaving your head bald. And he's being dramatic to say that whatever it meant to uncover the head, whatever that meant was as dramatic as this in the eyes of God. So, again, I think it's just trying to show us this is whatever it is. The Bible hasn't said it yet, and it will in a moment. Whatever it is, is a really big deal to God. Yeah, I see you have a, a chart here in your notes, and and I'll, I'll read it off without giving away uh, the covering at this point, because I, I imagine that's that's coming here in a little bit. Uh, but you have essentially four... Uh, things listed here. You have shaving, shearing, uncovering, and covering are essentially four states we have here, I guess you could say, um, where you say four types of actions. I like that as well. Um, so that might be just something good for people to keep in the back of their mind as we move forward, unless yeah. you want to add something to that. Well, there's one that, that's God's will and there's three that are not. So the shaving and the shorning and the uncovering in this scripture commingled with a heart that doesn't want to submit to God is, is disobeying God's will. The one that obeys God's will is a heart that wants to submit and covers their head. Well, we're going to cut it off right there, and I'm going to invite you to come back next week 
to keep studying with Stuart and I as we take a look at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2 through 16 on the covering. This is really important stuff, and maybe it's the first time you've heard it. So what I want to challenge you to do is read your Bible and study what the Word says. Pray to the Lord about it, and come back next week and listen to the podcast again. Until then, you can go to pureandsimplebible.com and check out all the free resources there. You can also go to Stuart's podcast, Real Bible Application. I just put it in Google, and it came up real quick uh, on Apple, and I'm sure it's on other platforms as well. So until next week, always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.